This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 20th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. State constitutions contain enormous powers to restrict government and preserve liberty, but that demands citizens who understand the liberties that those constitutions protect. Clint Bullock is a justice on the Arizona Supreme Court. We spoke during the Cato Institute's Constitution Day event held last week. Many state constitutions predate the U.S. Constitution. Does that matter? It does matter because uh, the national constitution was modeled after a number of these state constitutions, especially with regard to the Bill of Rights and what rights were considered important to protect against the national government, but also in terms of the structure of government, having a two-house legislature. a, a an executive and a separate judicial branch, and these were so these were uh, models that yes. were closely examined. No, when I ask that about does it matter, I'm talking about where a state constitution might end up conflicting with a contemporary interpretation of the U.S. Constitution. Well, and I have very strong opinions on that. <laughs> opinions that I've brought with me to. The judiciary, uh, I believe that state constitutions should be interpreted without regard to how the federal courts have interpreted the federal constitution. State constitutions, uh, in some instances, are antecedents to the national constitution, but they all draw from the values and principles of their own people. They are the organic law of the states. And as such, they should be interpreted in a way that gives full meaning to the provisions of the state constitutions. Now, I'm thinking of in terms of like New Hampshire's state constitution, uh, Rhode Island. I mean, these are constitutions that uh, for a long time predated the U.S. Constitution and have some fairly startling provisions if, yes. if you're uh, somebody who, who looks at state constitutions. And more people ought to. I consider them, uh, from a, a freedom standpoint, uh, they all have clauses that you would never expect to find, and uh, all of them have provisions that um, uh, that can expand freedom for the people of the states beyond the freedoms that have been recognized under the national constitution. So uh, when a state constitution is in conflict with, again, a contemporary interpretation of the U.S. Constitution or perhaps some recently adopted amendment that, that uh, might conflict with pre-existing state constitutions, what, where do we begin when we're trying to analyze uh, that issue? Well, of course, if a state constitutional provision actually conflicts with a provision in the national constitution, then the national constitution prevails. But where the provisions are identical or similar, um, then the state constitutional provision can be enforced differently than the national constitution, but only in one direction. And that is to provide greater freedom, not less. I call that the freedom ratchet. And that's why I'm such a fan of state constitutions because they, they, uh, the national constitution provides the floor for our liberties, but state constitutions can go above and beyond that floor. I'm thinking specifically of uh, rights regarding travel, rights regarding uh, protect, self-protection or uh, the right to keep and bear arms, things like that, where states go 
well beyond what the U.S. Constitution does. That's absolutely right. Free speech guarantees in the constitutions of of the states. Uh, uh, you're right about the the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, protections of freedom of enterprise, uh, private uh, property rights, privacy protections. And there are also provisions in state constitutions that are completely unknown to the national constitution. To give you one example, a personal favorite of mine are gift clauses, which are found in the constitutions of about three dozen states that prohibit gifts of public funds to individuals, corporations, or associations. If only we had such a provision in the national constitution, but we don't. How does that play out in states? Well, in Arizona, I'm happy to say that uh, we put an end to corporate subsidies uh, using the gift clause. We had cities that were competing with each other to bring in uh, retailers and sales tax revenues, and they were literally subsidizing up to, in the hundreds of millions of dollars, developers of shopping malls to locate within their city boundaries. And we took on one in uh, Phoenix that uh, was was called City North. It was supposed to be such a grandiose mall that we referred to it as the Taj Mahal. And uh, this uh, this developer took a hundred million dollars, made all of these uh, promises, and the taxpayers were left holding the bag. Uh, as most uh, libertarians would understand. Retail follows rooftops. There's no reason to subsidize retail whatsoever. And uh, the Arizona Supreme Court said, no, you've, if you're giving public money, there has to be a contractual quid pro quo in order for this to happen, not simply a, a vague promise to create new jobs or whatever. So that's the type of of potential that states' constitutions have that the national constitution does not. We're used to a lot of people uh, around the United States having very strong opinions about what they imagine the U.S. constitution contains. Uh, but in state constitutions, the pool of people who are, are really conversant in uh, the terms and the application of the state constitution is pretty limited. That's right. You go to Tea Party meetings and everyone's read the U.S. Constitution and in a lot of instances, people don't even realize they have a state constitution. And this is really unfortunate for a whole variety of reasons. But most of all, our state constitutions were intended to be our primary protection of our liberties with the national constitution kind of acting as a backstop to that. Um, and they've become really an afterthought. They're not taught in law schools. Lawyers almost never raise constitutional issues under state constitutions. Even libertarian and conservative litigation groups over the years have largely ignored state constitutional protections unless they have no other choice. There are, when I worked for the Bluegrass Institute in uh, Kentucky, uh, I had to read Kentucky's constitution, which is fairly long. It contains more than 100 uh, separate sort of line items that seem to exist with uh, as an uh, islands unto themselves. In Good terms thing of, you didn't live in California. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> fair. Uh, but, you know, there are some, some of these things that you, you read and you don't really understand, well, why would they have done this or right. that? 
and then you spend just a little time watching how the legislature operates and you say, oh, that thing they're doing, there's this provision here that says they really can't do that. That's right. There's a good example of that uh, that uh, I encountered early in my career. It's called the private or local bill prohibition. Parochial and interests. Exactly. Kentucky and has the same provision. Yes, almost every state constitution does. Again, if only the U.S. Constitution did. But this is a provision aimed at log rolling, one of the most pernicious practices in which legislatures routinely engage. And uh, these provisions mean nothing unless taxpayers take them to court. And that's another feature of state constitutions. In most states, unlike the national, uh, the federal courts, taxpayers have standing as taxpayers to enforce these provisions. Well, that's, that's a powerful thing because you don't expect in, in federal courts there are any number of ways to get bounced from yes. <laughs> uh, a, a, a litigation. But in states, your advice to taxpayers is take these things seriously. That's absolutely right. And and uh, those obstacles often don't exist in state courts. All right. So in, in specific reference to that, uh, those kinds of rules regarding legislation, there are other state constitutions that prohibit uh, pieces of legislation from dealing from, with more than one thing. That's right. Which, again, the U.S. Constitution might benefit from uh, having That's included. That's right. Uh, Senator Flake would not have to talk about earmarks quite so often, perhaps. Following the Kelo decision, uh, a lot of states reformed with uh, mixed success their uh, rules governing eminent domain as a, as a protection because, of course, it was a 5-4 loss for uh, Ms. Kelo. Uh, but how has that how has that panned out? How have states performed? Well, most states have eminent domain provisions in their own constitutions, and state courts are free to interpret them differently than the federal courts interpreted the uh, Fifth Amendment. Of course, the U.S. Supreme Court took the words public use and turned it turned them into public benefit, which is a much lower protection. So uh, at the very same time as my former colleagues at the Institute for Justice were litigating the Kelo case, we were litigating a case in Arizona involving a guy named Randy Bailey who owned a brake shop. And the city of Mesa wanted to take his property and give it to a hardware store that wanted to expand. Not dissimilar facts to the Kelo case. But uh, while Mrs. Kelo was losing her little pink house, in uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, we effectively uh, litigated that provision under the Arizona Constitution, and we won. And as a result, Randy is still selling brakes in Mesa today. Several other states interpreted their constitutions to be more protective of private property rights than uh, the U.S. Constitution. and. Uh, they're free to do exactly that. That is probably the best example of why it's important to focus not just on the U.S. Constitution, but state constitutions as well. So I've, I've known you for many years. Uh, and the last time we spoke, you were not on the Arizona Supreme Court. <laughs> so what have you learned? What is What has surprised you? Because you've been on the other side doing litigation work, but uh, sitting on the court and and having to con try to convince people, having to, uh, you know, these are your colleagues now. So how does how is that different? Well, it's different in a, a threshold way in that um, 
when I look at issues, I size them up like I used to as a lawyer to decide to determine whether uh, the one party or the other should should prevail, and that's where I stop my analysis. And, and instead of then choosing the the side and and arguing the side, so you you take your advocacy hat off, except in so far as you are trying to persuade your colleagues, uh, but. Really, it's been a, a phenomenal experience so far. Uh, I think that it's a, a great opportunity to advance freedom because the Arizona Constitution, just like the U.S. Constitution, is aimed at protecting freedom. And uh, so far, it's, it's been a great experience, and I hope it will get even better. Clint Volick is a justice on the Arizona Supreme Court. You can watch his speech on state constitutions at our website or on our YouTube channel. And of course, subscribe to this podcast at Cato.org.